Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into pre-1900s actors in today's statistics episode. We read the wind and the sky when the sun is high. We sail the length of the seas on the ocean breeze. At night we name every star. We know where we are. We know who we are, who we are. Like I mentioned uh, a few episodes back, I wanted to try a different format for top 10 actor lists. Uh, this is one that I wasn't act- hadn't actually been on my radar whatsoever. I, uh, you know, of all the different ways I can sort the sp- my data on my spreadsheet as far as the actor's page is concerned, um, you know, Birth month was always one that was very obvious and easy to to determine. Uh, Recently, I've decided to track birth country or state if it's in the United States. So that's another one I'm toying with. But that that data is pretty far from fully realized. And so I wasn't really ever thinking about by decade. And uh, through talking with Miran, uh, this is a while ago, I think, um, I think it was even like last year that, you know, yes, while month born is a very simple way to have one episode a month, you know, you can do each episode per month in that month. It's, it's kind of arbitrary, isn't it? You know, just because everyone who was born in April is being compared against each other. It's not like they're necessarily competing against each other. Um, there are a lot of various or rather a a lot of sort of factors that go into that that really don't have anything to do with the talent involved. Um, It's mostly just a a function of a way for me to talk about particular people in the movies that they've been in. And, you know, his, his, his suggestion was to sort things by decade. So... Um, if we break that down into a tw- 12 different variations, uh, we have people born before 1900, every single decade of the 1900s, and then people born in 2000 or later. Uh, and that breaks it down pretty nicely into 12 distinct subsets. And while in this scenario, you're definitely going to have some subsets that are drastically different from others, uh, in particular the post-2000 uh grouping I don't think has I mean it has nobody in like the top 100 actors on my spreadsheet at least as of right now obviously you know if the if that episode comes out next March which is what would it projected to be uh, that could change but uh, it's you know when the oldest someone could be from that subset is 18 uh, it doesn't give you a, a, a large library of films and it doesn't give you a large variety of roles for most of those people to have been in. But I like this idea. I I wanted, at the time, I wanted to make sure I wrapped up the whole year's worth of month-born actors before I I moved into something else. Uh, That being said, it probably should have started last month, Um, but I wasn't thinking about it. I don't know, it slipped my mind. So we're a month behind, and that's okay because everyone makes mistakes. So, without uh, any more hemming and hawing, we will now move into my top 10 actors 
who were born before 1900. First thing you got to be aware of is that most of these are going to be names you're probably not familiar with. Heck, most of them are names that I couldn't pick up, pick out of a lineup. You can probably have a lineup of all 10 of these names, and I would be able to tell, recognize two, definitely two, maybe three, looking at the list here, maybe three on a good day. Uh, so it's more, it's less about the person and more about the films they've been in. And uh, as you'll see, there's a lot of crossover. So number 10 in the pre-1900s acting category, born September 6th, 1893, and uh, passing February 5th, 1965 at the age of 71, uh, from Missouri, our own Missouri, it, with 11 films to his name and an average film rating of 74.82. Just one film rated below a 50, so only one bad film on this resume with a value of 10. Their score is 73.31 for an overall ranking of 91st. So everyone in this top 10 is top 100 material. And that is Irving Bacon. Right, who is Irving Bacon? So Irving Bacon uh, was kind of a minor character actor. He has been in over 250 films at least. Uh, he's got 263 credits on Letterboxd. I've, I've seen 11, so that is a paltry 4% of his total number of films. But, uh, so, so there's a lot of people like this in this top 10 and in the 1800s specifically. And they're going to be very present for a while, but I think in time, these sorts of people uh, will slowly drop down their rankings. I think it's inevitable that I get to some of the quote-unquote bad movies that these people have been in. Uh, Irving Bacon, in particular, uh, has been in such films as Gone with the Wind, His Girl Friday, You Can't Take It With You, It Happened One Night, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, The Grapes of Wrath. A Star is Born, the Judy Garland version. It started with Eve, Shadow of a Doubt, the Broadway Melody, or just, sorry, Broadway Melody of 1940, and his only bad film that I've seen is San Francisco. Some really good films in there. Uh, Gone with the Wind, my favorite of the, ten, of the 11. Um, but I, I really enjoy His Girl Friday, You Can't Take It With You, It Happened One Night, Mr. Deeds Goes, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. All pretty great movies. And uh, he is got a good resume, right? Like, it's only 10th out of the people born before 1900, but 91st out of every single actor I've seen is nothing to sneer at. And the, the resume kind of speaks for itself. Any of those thing, films I mentioned that you haven't seen, uh, I guess with the exception of San Francisco and Broadway Melody of 1940, I think are good. I would recommend them to watch. Uh, you know, there's... Best Picture winners in that list, Best Picture nominees, plenty of Oscar attention uh, across the board, and fantastic performances, fantastic films, direction, effects, everything, uh, musicals, and uh, you really, you know, you hit every single point uh, on the spectrum with 
this this filmography. Uh, so looking at some of the um, just kind of looking at the bio here that he has on Letterboxd. Uh, he was known as a minor character actor. Irving Bacon was kind of known for his bug-eyed bewilderment that he expressed or maybe uh, cautious frustration. Uh, if I'm looking at, say, Gone with the Wind uh, to see what he was credited as. Ignore that noise. Uh, he was a corporal in Gone with the Wind, for what that's worth, in... Let's say, and you can't take it with you. He played Henry, the head waiter, and in it happened one night. He played a gas station attendant. So, fairly extra uncredited roles for this guy, and you will see that. Man, they have to do construction right now, uh, and you'll see that through a lot of people in this list. Some of the films that he's been in that I haven't seen include 1942's Holiday Inn with Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire, 1947's Monsieur Verdoux, which is Charlie Chaplin, uh, 1932's I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, starring Paul Mooney, Frank Capra's Meet John Doe, starring Gary Cooper and Barbara Stanwyck. Um, those are the top four I haven't seen, on Letterboxd at least. There are a ton of others I'm scrolling down this list that I'm in, familiar with. The Marx Brothers, uh, The Thin Man Goes Home, Made for Each Other, Never Give a Sucker an Even Break, Born to be Bad, The Return of Frank James, A Guy Named Joe, Run for Cover, The Mad Miss Manton. A lot of titles. Uh, you know, over 250 movies I still haven't seen, uh, let alone what I have. And that's kind of the name of the game, right? It's it's a quantity over quality assessment looking at the total number of films. But, you know, if, if even 50 of these 250 films are good to great, and they're the first ones I see, then, I mean, he, it's going to be a while before I, I get to... The bad ones, and by that point, he'll have gained so much. So much, uh, he'll have such a higher score, so much more value, a higher average film rating, that it'll be even. It'll be that more, that much more difficult to to drop his uh, his placement. So Irving Bacon, bug-eyed, cautiously, uh, cautiously frustrated, and generally he ended up playing a sort of. Um, servile parts. Uh, so the bio here lists mailmen, milkmen, clerks, chauffeurs, cabbies, bartenders, soda jerks, carnival operators, handymen, and doctors. So yeah, he um, he had plenty of work and he was working pre-sound era and post-sound era as well. And uh, even was on television, this is saying, he was on television programs Laramie and Wagon Train as well as December Bride and The Real McCoys. Uh, he was even in a couple of episodes of I Love Lucy. So he's, uh, he's been everywhere you can think of. And that is Irving Bacon, number 91, overall number 10, born before 1900. Not a lot to talk about with people who really don't have big roles in movies. So, moving on to number nine. This person was born September 19th, 1888. 
and passed October 6, 1953 at the age of 65, born in Ohio. With 10 film credits that I've seen, an average film rating of 76 flat, no bad films yet to speak of, a value of 10.5, and a score of 73.83, ranked 85th overall, is Porter Hall. Uh, now, Porter Hall, uh, not quite as prolific as Irving Bacon. Only 64 film credits on Letterboxd. I've seen 10 of them, about 15%. He is a character actor. He is, uh, unlike Irving Bacon, Porter Hall was much more uh, delegated, relegated to villains. He played a lot of villains. Um, he also played a lot of sort of like incompetent character characters. Um, his bio lists him as typically playing movie villains or, quote, comedic incompetent characters. Some of the films that he's been in uh, are Ace in the Hole, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, His Girl Friday, Double Indemnity, Miracle on 34th Street, Sullivan's Travels, The Thin Man, Going My Way, The Petrified Forest, and The Story of Louis Pasteur. And yeah, uh, none of those are bad. Uh, Petrified Forest and Louis Pasteur, I think, are fine. They're just average. Uh, but uh, everything above that, I really I like or really enjoy, uh, particularly Ace in the Hole, which I've seen quite recently, I think is fantastic. I did talk about it. Uh, I guess it was a March movie, February movie. I think it was a February movie, top 10 February movies. Uh, so Porter Hall, also a character actor, less of a minor character actor than Irving Bacon, but also not the same types of characters so villainous characters uh yeah if you he has a picture on letterboxd he definitely pulls off the sort of um oil tycoon sort of villainous role uh just in his appearance alone uh the picture that they use he's quite old probably uh 60s maybe late 50s and doesn't really showcase that he could be a comedically incompetent character but I'm sure I've seen movies where he has been. I couldn't pick them out for you. In the movies, uh, let's see, in Double Indemnity, he plays... Let's, let me see if I can find it real quick. Or not. Real Porter Hall. He plays Mr. Jackson, who I don't know who that is because it doesn't tell me. Um, in Ace in the Hole, he plays Jacob Q. Boot. So he is a named character actor he is playing people who are not known for what they are doing but rather for what their actual name is which is a big step up from what Irving Bacon was doing not that that diminishes Irving Bacon's roles uh, it just adds a little more context to Porter Hall in that sense some of the films that he's been in I haven't seen that are quite popular on Letterboxd include Make Way for Tomorrow from 1937 starring Victor Moore Bula Bondi and Faye Bainter. Uh, you also have Miracle of Morgan's Creek, Intruder in the Dust, and Satan Met a Lady. So from my understanding, I don't recognize any of these movies that I haven't seen of his. None of the titles, none of the posters, which leads me to believe that I've seen all of his popular movies, or all of his well-known ones, at least. And 
that's probably not a good thing. Uh, he's been in a lot of the Bull, Bulldog Drummond films, uh, which I have acquired um, to watch for that kind of exact purpose. But again, he's in you know a quarter of as many films as Irving Bacon was. So Porter Hall has a much smaller library of films as well as that probably leading him to playing more substantial roles in a lot of these films and that means that it's it's the onus is on him more than it was on Irving Bacon to be in it, to make the film good uh so at the moment uh you know that's gone quite well for him but i think a lot of the films that i listed Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, His Girl Friday, Double Indemnity, Miracle on 34th Street. These were films, I think, that were bolstered by not Porter Hall. No offense to him, but I think that if we get down towards the bottom of this list and he's one of the characters, or not characters, but he's one of the actors that is trying, that is forced to kind of carry the film at all, that might not bode too well for him. But we'll see. A lot of movies to see. And for now, Porter Hall is ranked 85th overall and 9th out of everyone born before 1900. Moving on to number 8. Uh, this is one of the three people I think I could pick out of a lineup. Born February 9th, 1893. Passing December 23rd, 1982 at the age of 89. From Italy. With 19 film credits to their name, an average film rating of 68.84, a value of 12, and an overall score of 74.29, to be ranked 82nd overall and 8th from people before born before 1900 is Gino Corrado. Uh, I've talked about Gino Corrado before. I believe he was one of the top 10 February actors this past month, if I'm... I might be mistaken. <clears throat> And he, he's, he's, he's a little bit more present in the movies than even Porter Hall was, in my opinion. And because of his ethnicity as an Italian, it is a lot easier, I think, to pick him out of not just a movie, but also uh, a lineup. Some of the films, um, you got to... He, he he has he, he kind of finds roles that are on the one hand kind of more like Irving Bacon uh, in Grapes of Wrath he just plays chef but and and even in Gone with the Wind he is credited as minor role and I'm looking here for a couple of other credits for him. Or in Sunrise, colon, A Song of Two Humans, he plays manager of hair salon. So, I guess, perhaps I misspoke. Not, not who I'm thinking of. Um, so, uh, he's been in some of the best films going. Uh, I would say Casablanca is one of my favorites. That is the best film I've seen him in. Gone with the Wind, I mentioned. The Great Dictator, Charlie Chaplin. Rebecca. Is, is fantastic uh, as well. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Citizen Kane, I uh, already mentioned Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, Grapes of Wrath, Harvey uh, with James Stewart is very good. A Day at the Races is the 
uh, Marx Brothers film, which is good. Top Hat, Kitty Foyle, and Dodsworth. Kitty Foyle, Dodsworth are fine. Uh, but he does have a, a handful of bad and even awful films. Um, a Farewell to Arms I watched fairly recently, and I was not the biggest fan of that. Uh, Three Coins in the Fountain I think is terrible. Uh, like, real terrible. The Strange Love of Martha Ivers I also am not a big fan of. And To Each His Own I think is not so great either. So, uh, Chino Corrado who has def who's been at the top and been even in the top 50 in the past is someone I've seen on the spreadsheet quite often someone I have actually sought out in order to drop their ranking on multiple occasions as uh, evidenced by the handful of bad films that he's been in and that's really not been enough uh, he's still 82nd overall uh, he was in, you know, Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans was one of, I think, the most recent film of his I've seen that I found that was great or even even positive at all. And uh, there's more. I, I think there's going to be a lot more films that he's been in that I'm going to find or at least rate highly. He was in the 1932 film Scarface. He was in 1932's Trouble in Paradise as well as uh, D.W. Griffith's Intolerance from 1916, which is on my classic film challenge for this year. Uh, Burt Lancaster and Ava Gardner in 1946's The Killers. 1940's Foreign Correspondent. Uh, Sidney Tra uh, Spencer Tracy in Fury from 1936. A lot of films. I think he... he just due to the fact that I've sought out films that are badly rated to watch for him leads me to believe that there are a lot more better films out there that I haven't seen yet. Uh, you know, you even got The Ten Commandments from Cecil B. DeMille from 1923. There are a lot of a lot of things, a lot of posters and, and films, film titles here that I'm familiar with uh, as opposed to what I was looking at when we were looking at Porter Hall. So I think that there's much better chance that he is able to not only sustain but improve his standing in, in, on the spreadsheet as despite my best efforts he continues to thwart me at every turn he is uh, 19 of the films that I've seen uh, he's got 146 credits on Letterboxd so that puts me at 13% not very high at all and man uh so they i don't know he he's uh he's just kind of there you know all these sort of extras or or minor role actors even you know minor character actors i i wish i i don't i'm not upset that they're ranked so highly i i think that they've earned it for sure because uh you know like the the if you're a part of the movie you get credit for it, and that's kind of the only guideline. So, in on that sense, I, I'm perfectly fine with the state of things. But I am always kind of approaching the this sort of assessment, I suppose, if you will, and wishing that they weren't there. <laughs> I don't know. I just there are a couple people who are primarily 
minor roles that I don't have a problem with being rated very highly. But when it becomes a huge thing, so like Irving Bacon, Porter Hall, Gina Carrado, if you look at number 11 from the uh, Born Before 1900, it's Harold Miller, who was ranked 94th overall. You know, all and, and one, two, three, four, four or five more of the people on this top 10 list are generally people that we're we don't know they're not household names and they're not big roles in movies and that's a lot there's just a lot this is all it's just a lot so number eight is gina carrado number 82 overall number seven born july 2nd 1894 passing January 26, 1954, at the age of 59, so young, uh, from Illinois, with 18 film credits and an average film rating of 69.67, a value of 12.5, and a score of 75.2, ranked 67th overall, Burt Morehouse. I think this is somebody who was in the top 10 July? Maybe. Uh, Might be too far away from July. Um, to know that for sure. He probably moved up recently. Uh, Burt Morehouse is kind of another name that people aren't super familiar with. I know I wouldn't recognize him. Uh, For example, in Citizen Kane, he he was credited as Man at Xanadu Great Hall, which tells me about all I need to know. You know, he didn't play... Big roles, you know, currently the most prominent actor on this list was Porter Hall. And Burt Morehouse was not Porter Hall in the same sense. He's been in some fantastic films. Sunset Boulevard, It's a Wonderful Life, The Great Dictator, Ace in the Hole, Citizen Kane, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. All fantastic films. Um, Some of the films I haven't mentioned yet that he's been in, The Lady Eve, I think is quite good. Uh, I saw that fairly recently, and I really enjoyed that. It started with Eve, uh, which I think I actually did say already. The Awful Truth is good, and he's been in some bad films, though. Uh, Just like Gino Carrado, uh, I've seen him in The Constant Nymph, which I don't think is very good. Love Affair, I don't think is very good. Mr. Skeffington, which is a Betty Davis movie I wasn't particularly fond of. And in old Chicago, I thought was quite bad. So, kind of along the same lines of Gina Carrado, and even their 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 stat lines are very very similar. I think Burt Morehouse is fine. Uh, some of the films he's been in that I haven't seen uh, include Buster Keaton's Cameraman, uh, Marina Hara in Dance Girl Dance, The Palm Beach Story from 1942. Claudette Colbert in Midnight from 1939, and The Glass Key from 1942, among many, many others. He has 128 credits on Letterboxd. I've seen 18 of them, putting me at about 14%. And... Oh, hold on a second. This is interesting. So, the movie database, which is where Letterboxd pulls all of its data lists his birthday as July 2nd, which is what I said. But in his biography, it says he was born on November 20th. 
Interesting. And let and and Wikipedia also says November twentieth. I think I'm going to say it was November twentieth then. Same year. Um, doesn't change how old he was, but that is interesting. Very interesting. Hmm. Burt Morehouse. When were you born? Um. <clears throat> so uh, he. I don't know. He adds a couple more films uh, to this list. Like I said, there's a lot of overlap uh, between all these people because they were all born around the same time. They're all playing extras and background characters in a lot of the same movies. So they're all pretty well off. And it's kind of just how how lucky you were, how, how much bit work you were able to get. And we will see um, that towards the top of this list uh, quantity will definitely compensate uh, for quality and sometimes not always but some of the time so Burt Morehouse number seven uh, born before 1900 and number 67 overall moving on to number six uh, born July 14th 1893 passing October 23rd 1960 at the age of 67 born in Alabama with 17 film credits an average film rating of 70.18 a value of 12 and a half and a score of 75.29 very close to Burt Morehouse ranked 64th overall is Frank McClure Frank McClure is um about as well known as Burt Morehouse, I would imagine. He's also been in some of the same films, including Citizen Kane, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, His Girl Friday, You Can't Take It With You. We would like to add Witness for the Prosecution and Some Like It Hot to the list of films uh, on this. Uh, you also have Calamity Jane, which I saw recently. I really enjoyed Calamity Jane. It's a Western musical comedy type of film. All the King's Men is quite good. The Bandwagon is very good. Um, also, uh, McClure, along with Burt Morehouse, they were both in Notorious and The Awful Truth and Broadway Melody of 1940 and Mr. Skeffington. McClure was also in Royal Wedding, which I think is just terrible and don't recommend. Um, one of his credits on Citizen Kane, he is simply listed as uncredited. Or if I look at, say, The Awful Truth, he was credited as minor role. So clearly was making a big splash. In Some Like It Hot, he's credited as speakeasy patron. So, you know, that's an actual title. Uh, Frank McClure uh, was in some good movies. And I would say... Um, to add films to this list of recommendations, you know, these are classic films, I, I think, that are still, that still hold up. Calamity Jane, I really enjoyed. As I mentioned, it is a musical, it is a uh, comedy western starring Doris Day and others. And it's fun. It's just a lot of fun. And I think that that's, um, I, I would, it's from 1953. And I think that the biggest thing that could have made that film better is if it was gay and not straight. Because kind of, 
I don't know, it doesn't really diminish the film, but it does kind of, it seems counterintuitive if you're approaching the film without the assumption that it's supposed to be straight, but that's just me. And uh, some of the films Frank McClure's been in that I haven't seen yet include uh, the, the Killers, Ernest Hemingway's The Killers, starring Burt Lancaster and Ava Gardner, which I've mentioned in the past, The Talk of the Town with Cary Grant and Gene Arthur, The Woman in the Window, Somebody Up There Likes Me, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty from 1947, and The Invisible Woman from 1940. Uh, I've seen 17 films of, that he's been in, according to Letterboxd, and uh, he has 15, 57 credits total. So that's about 29%, so pretty decent percentage for Frank McClure, all things considered. And uh, there's still a lot of films on here that I'm very familiar with, at least in title, maybe not in reputation. So looking forward to that. I'm sure... Next time he pops up, I'll be at like 25 to 30 of his films. Uh, that's just kind of how things go. If you watch a lot of older films, they'll really add up. And um, yeah, so that is Frank McClure, number six, um, pre-1900s, and number 64 overall. We now move into the top five, and... For the first time, we really have a name that I think people recognize and that I think you would uh, be familiar with. Born October 4th, 1895, passing February 1st, 1966 at the age of 70, from Kansas. With nine film credits and an average film rating of 79.78, no bad films, a value of 11, and a score of 76.27. Ranked 49th overall and 5th. Born before 1900 is Buster Keaton. So we have a name, an actual popular, well-known name of Buster Keaton. One of the premier silent film comedy actors. Uh, he, along with Charlie Chaplin and... Uh, is it Frank Lloyd? Harry, Harold Lloyd? Harold Lloyd believe harry lloyd harold harold lloyd the three of them were kind of the pioneers for this sort of a film and buster keaton at the moment is my second favorite of the three of them but again i've only seen nine of his films so there's still a lot of a lot of ex experience i have to to gain some of the films of his that i have seen include the general Sherlock Jr., Steamboat Bill Jr., uh, One Week, which turns out to be one of Kyle's top 250 movies, uh, The Navigator, and then a couple of films that aren't actually quote-unquote Buster Keaton films. So he has a, has a role in Sunset Boulevard, uh, Charles Chaplin's Limelight, Around the World in 80 Days, Best Picture Winner, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. So he, unlike Chaplin for the most part, was also in movies he wasn't making himself. And it's it's definitely benefited him as far as statistically, but it doesn't mean... 
uh, it means that like despite the fact that I've seen it in nine films only like four or five of them are traditional Buster Keaton films and so I have much even less experience than it appears that I have with his acting and, and directing style I think uh, Sherlock Jr. is incredible it's one it's my favorite of his original films um, you know, he plays a role of himself in Sunset Boulevard, so if you ignore that, Sherlock Jr. becomes the best film he quote-unquote acts in. And uh, I'm, I love Buster Keaton. I think he is hilarious. Uh, I, I do need to sort of venture out and, and see more of his films. Some of the ones I haven't seen that I really would like to. Cameraman, Seven Chances, Our Hospitality, College, The Goat, Go West, The High Sign, Neighbors, Three Ages, uh, you know, pretty much everything on this list of films that he's been in, I'm fascinated in in watching. I think that would be very fun, very enjoyable. I've been watching a lot of Chaplin lately, uh, as he was born, I think in April, maybe March, Uh, and so I was watching a lot of Chaplin for that reason, so... Maybe I'll pivot over to Keaton for a little bit and uh, then kind of eventually, once I maybe double or triple the number of films of his I've seen, move into Harold Lloyd to round out the trifecta. And he's just hes just a funny guy. He's great. His physical humor is great. It's less slapsticky than, uh, than Chaplin's is, but it's, it's very humorous it, it, it's physical humor without the need to be slapsticky and that's difficult that's not an easy thing to do uh you know you look at films that are coming out nowadays and all the physical humor in a lot of the films coming out recently are mostly slapstick you know you've got your adam sandlers of the world and that's fine and and you know there's some great slapsticky comedy to be had but i think that's it's far more challenging to pull off what keaton is able to pull off and i think he's the best at it honestly just the best at it so buster keaton easily the most well-known name on the top 10 list born before 1900 i think that goes without question if you once you hear the rest of the names but i i think that uh he will be a mainstay on this particular list and i i don't see that changing anytime soon so that's buster keaton ranked fifth born before 1900 and ranked 49th overall moving on to number four the person with the fewest number of films to make the top 10 list um born october 26th 1875 also the quote-unquote oldest person on this list uh passing december 21st 1958 at the age of 83 from the united kingdom with six just six film credits an average film rating of 89 with his lowest rated film at 78 a value of 10 and a score of 76.75 ranked 48th overall and fourth born before 1900 is hb warner hb warner is a pretty evil looking guy uh does not look happy 
in the picture uh, that he that is provided on Letterboxd, he is noted as the definitive, the definitive cinematic Jesus Christ in Cecil B. DeMille's The King of Kings from 1927, a film I have not seen. And he... Uh, he's been in six films that I've seen. So those are Sunset Boulevard, which is fantastic. It's a Wonderful Life, fantastic. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, fantastic. You Can't Take With You is great. Mr. Deeds Goes to Town is great. And The Ten Commandments, which I think is very good. Uh, I'm interested in watching more, but I've only seen six. So he's not someone who's particularly high on the radar. He was not... I don't think he made the list back in October's top 10, and I think the main reason for that is probably because he wasn't on the spreadsheet. But now, looking at it, he uh, is very much a principal actor in the films that he's in. Obviously, he's played Jesus Christ in The King of Kings, and some of the other films he's been in include Lost Horizon, uh, All That Money Can Buy from 1941, Five Star Final from 31, Supernatural from 33, and High Wall from 47 to go along with King of Kings from 27. He has been in 93 films, according to Letterboxd, and the six I've seen represent about 6% of his total filmography. He is also frequently in some of the Bulldog Drummond films, uh, which will hopefully expand the number of films I've seen him in when I get around to those, and that'll be, I'm looking forward to that, but, uh, tough to, tough to say, he, in, in It's a Wonderful Life, he plays Mr. Gower, uh, who, if you remember the film at all, he is the druggist in Mr. Gower, who is saved from committing a lethal medication error, by James Stewart's character as a child, so the young George Bailey. Uh, in Sunset Boulevard, he appears as himself, uh, similarly to uh, Buster Keaton in the same vein. And uh, his role in the Ten Commandments, the 1956 version, is uh, reportedly his last credited role. He played Aminadab and... Uh, well, his last credited role, whereas his last uncredited role was a, a very tiny part in Rangers from 1958. So, H.B. Warner, he is a distinctive-looking fellow and uh, has a huge forehead. That's number four, number 48 overall, H.B. Warner. Moving on to number three. Born December 4th, 1888, passing December 2nd, 1968, at the age of 79, from Ireland, with 27 film credits and an average film rating of 65.96, a value of 15.5, and a score of 76.91. Ranked 44th overall, Colin Kenny. Definitely have talked about Colin Kenny in the past. Uh, he is a mainstay on the actor's spreadsheet. 
The 27 films of his that I've seen represent 38% of his total Letterboxd filmography, which tops out at 71 films. I won't go into all of them, but a couple that I haven't named yet this episode include My Fair Lady, um, The Original Manchurian Candidate, North by Northwest, All About Eve, The Adventures of Robin Hood, Judgment at Nuremberg, um, The Music Man, the 1962 version, Elmer Gantry from 1960, starring Burt Lancaster, Gunfight at the OK Corral, Johnny Belinda, which is a film I love, 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 and highly recommend. Uh, so a lot of a lot of great films that Colin Kenny's been in. He uh, is also primarily a uh, bit character in North by Northwest. His credited role is Man at Auction. In To Kill a Mockingbird, his role is Courtroom Spectator. So. Again, not having the biggest impact on the actual film itself. But we need extras as much as we need anybody else. Some of the bad films I've seen him in, uh, to kind of give you an idea of what to avoid, I guess, is None But the Lonely Heart, which is a Cary Grant movie I don't think is very good. My Favorite Spy with Bob Hope I don't like. Murder is News is pretty awful. And Charlie Chan in Shanghai, and I guess just kind of a blanket statement, all Charlie Chan films I think are pretty awful. Charlie Chan in Shanghai is quite bad. I think I've only seen two Charlie Chan films. So, I mean, I guess obviously not the most, not the big, largest authority on them, but I just, it's a premise that I really can't get past. <laughs> That's all. Uh, Colin Kenny in and of himself has the second highest number of films seen out of the top 10 list here at 27. Uh, he has one of the lowest average film ratings at just under 66. Uh, and he has the second highest value at 15 and a half uh, and his third. And some of the films of his that I haven't seen yet include White Heat, James Cagney, Foreign Correspondent from 1940. Um, the Charlie Chaplin film Monsieur Verdoux again, Inherit the Wind starring Spencer Tracy, Ministry of Fear from 44, and Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland's Captain Blood. Uh, a lot of films here that I'm very familiar with, uh, and even more that if you're scrolling down here, Dr. Jekyll Mr. Hyde, The Seahawk, The Invisible Man Returns, Ziegfeld Girl, Alice in Wonderland, uh, The House of the Seven Gables, is a title I'm familiar with. Green Dolphin Street, I'm familiar with. Uh, Laurel and Hardy. Mm, so, big resume and uh, well-known resume. Um, Murderous News, one of the awful films of his I've seen, is his fifth least popular film and his second least popular film that has a poster on Letterboxd. So, kind of... Uh, scraping the bottom of the barrel when I watched that one, <laughs> but I did. And uh, yeah, I mean, Colin Kenny, just like I would say for everyone else on this list, uh, you're not watching these movies for these people, you know, with the exception of Keaton and uh, maybe Porter Hall, 
so far, you're not watching these movies because these people are in it, unless you're me, most likely. Uh, you're watching the movies because they just happen to be fairly prestigious and uh, have great reputations. And it just so happens that half of the people I've named so far are in most of the films that people enjoy from this these eras, these decades. Which is no, which is fine. Um, but I've always maintained like the spreadsheet does not reflect acting quality. It reflects film quality and uh, more so film decisions. And if you are an extra, like a Colin Kenny, like an Irving Bacon, like a Burt Morehouse, ultimately, I think your your position, your ranking is going to drop. Uh, you know, you if you're watching classic films in the 2010s, you're probably not seeking out things like, looking down here, like um, Grumpy from 1930. I haven't seen this. Uh, it stars Cyril Maud and Phillips Holmes, but it has Colin Kenny in it. It has been, it's been seen by six people on uh, Letterboxd. And it's called, and it's uh, summarized as an exhaustingly cantankerous old man solves a jewel robbery. Sounds terrible. I'm sure it will be, but you know, you know, you know, you don't. No one's gonna watch that. There's a reason it only has six views on Letterboxd, and it's it's a different sort of approach. You know, watching the like thinking of how many extras are in a movie that really don't impact the movie at all, but they're there. They're just there. That's what they do. They're there. Uh, so that's Colin Kenny, number three, born before 1900, and number 44 overall. That just leaves us with our top two. And number two, best uh, highest rated actor born before 1900, born in Australia on July 19th, 1891 passing April 18th, 1981, at the age of 89, with 17 film credits, an average film rating of 71.53, a value of 14.5, and a score of 78.5. Ranked 34th overall is William H. O'Brien. Uh, O'Brien has been in a lot of the movies that we've already talked about. Um, the The... Uh, he is just as background of a character as pretty much everyone else going. Uh, so some of the films he's also been in and a part of Judgment at Nuremberg, Ace in the Hole, Rebecca, Citizen Kane, Witness for the Prosecution. He was also in High Noon, um, Elmer Gantry, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Thin Man, A Star is Born. It started with Eve, Father of the Bride, The Star, Around the World in 80 Days, Christmas Holiday. Uh, as well as San Francisco and In Old Chicago, which are his two bad movies out of the 17. So, not much new to talk about. Like he, he's uh, he's got a little bit better of a distribution across his films. Um, Frank McClure, who also was in 17 different films, had a, a breakdown of two films right in the 90s, five in the 80s, three in the 70s, two in the 60s. Whereas O'Brien has four in the 90s, which is a huge huge bump. Uh, 280s, 470s, and 360s. Um, the value, he has the third best value, second uh, right behind Colin Kenny, and then very distant behind our ultimate number one person here. 
And at 78 and a half, uh, that's the biggest gap between people in this top 10 list so far. Uh, over a point and a half difference between O'Brien and Colin Kenny. Um, it's, uh, you know, he's he's been in some great movies. And some of the ones he's been in that I haven't seen. So other films that really haven't been talked about yet. Um, Fallen Angel from 1945. Dana Andrews and Alice Faye. Uh, Red-Headed Woman from 1932. Uh, the Woman in Green, Basil Rathbone from 1945. The Unsuspected with uh, Claude Rains from 1947. Hallelujah, I'm a Bum from 1933. And uh, yeah, nothing particularly stands out here. I would say Red-Headed Woman is, I think, the only one there that I'm familiar with as a title that I'm scrolling through and seeing. But he has a lot of credits. Uh, so he has 97 film credits on Letterboxd. I've seen 17 of them, so just about 17% of his filmography. So again, a lot of stuff left to to go through and... Uh, he is uh, he is a prominent actor who mostly had tiny roles. Let me see here. In High Noon, he plays a member of the church. In Rebecca, he plays a hotel waiter. So we're not talking about superstardom. And that's the thing. So before we get into our number one, there's a reason why some of the bigger, more recognizable names are not in this top 10. Uh, so Humphrey Bogart, the best of the biggest names that came before 1900, he's ranked 13th. You have Jane Darwell uh, in 16th. Edwin Maxwell is a pretty recognizable name. Uh, who else do we have here? We go down to like even the number like uh, even this isn't super, like Claude Rains is way down. He is you know at least 35. Um, Chaplin is another like eight spots below Claude Rains. Charles Lawton is a couple spots behind Chaplin. You have uh, May Marsh, um, Claire Dubray, Norma Varden, uh, Gladys Cooper, Bula Bondi, Edna Purviance, who's in a lot of Chaplin movies, Lionel Barrymore, Oscar winner. Uh, William Powell, Walter Brennan, Henry Travers, Stanley Holloway, Spring Byington, all these Oscar-nominated actors who did not make the top 10. And uh, principal reason being that they weren't as prolific, firstly. It is also such the case that the films live and die by their performance because a lot of these people are the leading character the leading actor in the movie and even as good as someone like say Humphrey Bogart is and I think he's quite good uh, Casablanca Treasure of the Sierra Madre the Maltese Falcon the African Queen Sabrina Angel of Literary Faces etc 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 you get down to um a film you know he he's also in The Petrified Forest which I think is just okay 
uh, and he's like a significant supporting character in that movie. Uh, or if you look at, say, Jane Darwell, who was in The Oxbow Incident, which I re- most recently watched, and I think it's great. Uh, she's an Oscar winner for her performance in The Grapes of Wrath, but she's the narrator of The Battle of Midway, which is not good. The Bigamist and Curly Top are both bad movies that she's in and has a sizable role in. Whereas when you are effectively irrelevant to the success and or, and or failure of, of a movie, you don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff, right? The pressure of the movie is not on you. You're just, you know, sitting in a church pew waiting for the director to say cut. And, you know, even if you look at someone like some of the most incredible actors of all time by anyone's standards, like Meryl Streep, Katherine Hepburn, Daniel Day-Lewis, there's a reason none of them are, you know, my number one actor. And it's because, well, I mean, for now, obviously that could still change. I've never, I haven't seen all of any of their movies, but at the moment there's a reason. And it's, and the reason be, is that they're behind so many of these people who have such tiny roles in so many movies is because everyone is fallible, right? So, you know, even if you look at some of the best directors, some of the best writers, everyone has something in their filmography that they wish wasn't there, or not necessarily that, but that that doesn't hold up against uh, the best of the best of their resume. Even a Spielberg, even the Coen brothers, Nolan, Hitchcock, Scorsese, Linklater, uh, you know, they're all, there are blemishes on everyone's career, and... The problem, the reason for that is because when your career is defined by your specific abilities, you know, you are not perfect. But if the career is not defined by your abilities and more so uh, simply by the abilities of everyone else, I think you're far more likely to succeed um, in, a, in a broader sense of the term, at least under these parameters. So I'm not saying uh, that the average actor shouldn't depend on their own abilities to become successful. I'm just saying that under the parameters that I use to determine these rankings, uh, you are far more likely to be successful if you are not uh, one of the hinges upon which the film relies on as an actor. It's a lot, that's a lot different for directors, obviously, but for an actor, I think that is especially born, born, bears itself out in the data for instance. And with that, uh, William H. O'Brien, number two, born before 1900 and 34th overall. Let's move into our number one overall actor born before 1900. So from Texas, born November 23rd, 1898, with 60, count them, 60 film credits, an average film rating of 64.97, a value of 28.5, and a score of 91.37. Ranked second overall, Bess Flowers. So the only female, the only woman to make this top 10 is not only the best, but the second overall highest rated actor on the spreadsheet. Uh, She has appeared in the fourth most films out of anyone on the spreadsheet at 60, behind Mel Mel Blanc, Frank Welker, and Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, She has... Uh, the second highest value out of all people, only second only to the number one overall actor at the moment, which is Sherry Lynn, 
and uh, the second highest score, obviously, because she's ranked number two. She has been in 60 films that I've seen uh, with over 500 credits on Letterboxd. Uh, generally considered, by depending on who you're asking, uh, the most prolific, at least actress, maybe actor in all of Hollywood ever. Uh, she is credited in a, she's supposedly appeared in over 700 movies in a career spanning more than four decades. Letterboxd, as I mentioned, only has about 503 credits, and I've added a dozen, if not more of those, as I've watched films. She started acting in 1923, and only, only made three films that year. If you follow me on Twitter, I tweeted a a post, a picture, um, not super long ago, it's a few days back, uh, on the 28th of March, that was a couple Wednesday, Wednesdays ago. And uh, the 58th film that I ever saw with Best Flowers in it. Um, and I don't even remember what the movie was at this point. Uh, I don't know. But it's... Um, I took a screenshot because it is the first time I have ever seen a movie that I know Best Flowers is in that I've actually noticed that she is in it while watching the movie. And I've tried, I've looked, you know, a lot of, just because of the nature of who she is, uh, a lot of people have done a good job of tracking down exactly what role she is in a movie. So uh, you will look at a, you know, some of her credits and it will show you, you know, she is the woman that stands up in, and leaves ballroom, whatever, you know, like it's a very specific characterization of who she was and what character she played. And even with that specific description, it is still terribly difficult to pick her out of a crowd. And uh, for the first time, she is actually like on camera pretty substantially, given a lot of screen time. And I picked it out. I took a screenshot, put it on Twitter. Took me 58 films to actually see her in a movie. Whew. Uh, But that's that's where we're at. Um, She has been in five Best Picture winners. It happened one night. You can't take it with you. All About Eve, The Greatest Show on Earth, and Around the World in 80 Days. Uh, She has appeared in reportedly 23 Best Picture nominees total, uh, making her the record holder for that statistic. The last movie that she was in was Good Neighbor Sam in 1964. She was also in a lot of television shows, like I Love Lucy, And she also helped to found the Screen Extras Guild uh, that ultimately merged with SAG in 1992. And she was the one of the first vice presidents and recording secretaries of the of the organization. She has done a lot for film, and she has appeared in a lot of them. She is, and and this is what I mean by quantity over quality. So she has been in the most bad movies out of anybody in this top 10 list. She is tied with Colin Kenny for the most awful movies out of this top 10 list, uh, including The Greatest Show on Earth, uh, Royal Wedding, In Old Chicago, Best Foot Forward, Nothing Sacred, Anthony Adverse, Curly Top, The Robe, Mr. Skeffington, The Bigamist, The Love Affair, The Costume Designer, and The Constant Nymph. And yet she just has such an overwhelming number of positive movies that it doesn't really fucking matter. 
Um, she has been in six movies rated 90 or more, which is tied for 12th, tied in tied at 12th place uh, for the most films rated 90 or above. She has been in 10 movies rated 80 or more, which is tied for fifth uh, as far as that's concerned. 11 movies rated 70 or more, which is the third best value there. Uh, she has been in 11 movies rated 60 or more, which is the third best value there. And with nine movies rated in the 50s, that is the third best value there. So at the top in pretty much every statistic, no matter how you slice it, uh, the only thing missing is she has never been in a film that I've given a 100 to. Her best film is Judgment at Nuremberg, which I gave a 97. Um, and she has been in five films that are in my top 300. So Judgment at Nuremberg, Vertigo, Singing in the Rain, North by Northwest, and Sweet Smell of Success, currently all in my top 300. She is the fourth person to have reached 60 total films that I've seen them in. Uh, she is kind of a record breaker in a lot of different ways. And, uh, you know, it's, she's, she's, uh, one of a kind, remarkable. And it's, it's fascinating. You know, she, there are a lot of people on Letterboxd like this, but she's somebody who her filmography is so extensive on Letterboxd that half of the time you go to her page, the site crashes. That is how much, how many films she has been in. Some of the ones that she's been in that I haven't seen yet. The Roaring Twenties with James Cagney, uh, The Woman in the Window from 1944 with Joan Bennett, Angel Face from 1952, uh, The Tarnished Angels from 1957, A Woman of Paris from 23, Artists and Models from 55, The Big Clock 48 from, with Ray Milland and Charles Lawton, Dance Girl Dance, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, Joan Crawford in Sudden Fear, Claudette Colbert in Midnight, Don't Bother to Knock from 1952 with Marilyn Monroe, Cary Grant in The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, 1957's Nightfall, 1937's Topper, They Drive by Night from 40, Olivia de Havilland in The Dark Mirror, Paul Newman in Sweet Bird of Youth, Secret Life of Walter Mitty from 47, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Uh... Endless. It's endless. And, you know, I'm scrolling, you know, I can scroll down to, because it shows everything, but halfway down the list, there are still uh, and occasionally movies that I'm recognizing because there's just so many. But when you get to the bottom, it's like, wow, how many, you think like, how many movies can someone possibly physically be in, in the span of this much time? You know, if she does, if she was in 700 movies across about 40 years, that's, that's, you know, like 18 movies a year. That's insane. That's so many movies. I just don't even, obviously, you know, they're not asking a lot of her, but goodness gracious. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, so best flowers. Um, there's not much more to say. Uh, she, Number one from November, last November's top 10 list. She is the number one actor born before 1900. And we will see how things change the next time I go through this. Uh, 
just to run down the top 10 list again for all these names next to each other that you probably don't know, Irving Bacon, Porter Hall, Gino Corrado, Burt Morehouse, Frank McClure, Buster Keaton, H.B. Warner, Colin Kenny, William H. O'Brien, and Bess Flowers. If you are a big fan of classic movies, I bet if you take a look at some of their pages on Letterboxd uh, or even IMDb, you will notice that they've been in quite a few movies that you know. And uh, if you, I don't know, I, I think that that is something, I think it's cool. But beyond that, uh, so the new plan, uh, I kind of mentioned this before, one of the last times I talked about it. There's still a chance I do the top 10 April-born actors this month, but my goal would be to not do those this cycle. And the reason being that uh, as much as I love having that sort of guideline to watch movies for, so I have 12 folders on my laptop that are labeled for each month, and I put movies in there that in each of them for actors born in those months uh, to give me an idea and what to watch. So I'm watching the most popular films from some of the people who would normally be highly rated and to see how this affects them just to make sure I watch a handful of movies for each person in time. But it's... it's there's all, I have a lot of other things to watch too. And the nature of this format being such that I'm not basing it off of a previous list means that I don't have to force myself to watch anything specific necessarily and so for that reason I don't think I'll be doing a top 10 actors list as far as the month they were born until next year which may suck but I apologize and uh, as well you know we'll see if, if I transpose this every other year and uh, the nature of the beast being that next year April will feature, or not April, March. Oh no, it should work out. Um, you know, it'll just be now that two years have passed, uh, much more time to let things change and adjust and, and sort of nestle where they're supposed to be. And then you'll have two years for this format, uh, whatever. Um, obviously, things might change if uh, the number of episodes I can do per week increases. Uh, that might kind of force me to put out all of those episodes in a month just to have something easy to fill in those time that time slot but i also think you know as we go through this we get into the 1900s 1910s 20s we'll really start to get more and more names that people are familiar with uh, which i think is a good thing um, a couple other statistics before we leave here the number of people born before 1900 on my spreadsheet that are actors currently sits at 208 so we're looking at the top five percent um no we're not we're looking at is that right 10 out of 100 yeah five percent we're looking at the top five percent roughly people who uh make the top 10 of this and yeah that's that's where we're at to compare that to the 19 aughts there are uh, 180, 171 people that are born in that decade currently on the list. And if I 
just to see kind of how many people within those parameters are actually recognizable names. Uh, so currently, uh, you've got names like Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn and James Stewart, all born in the 19 aughts. Lawrence Olivier, Henry Fonda, Max Wagner, uh, Lee Patrick, Leota Richards, Jean Arthur, Agnes Moorhead, Elsa Lanchester, Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, Ruth Clifford, Mary Field, Ray Milan, John McIntyre, Melvin David, Douglas, Herschel Graham, um, Ralph Bellamy, George Sanders, Ralph Richardson, Lou Ayers, a lot of people, a uh, lot more recognizable names. Not all of them are in the top 10. Uh, we'll see just how that ends up shaking out uh, next month sometime. As there's still plenty, of, you know, all of April left to watch movies that these people have been in. And then however much of May as we get through that. So uh, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Um, appreciate you. Uh, if you're still listening, uh, I mean... Thank you, for sure. But also, you know, sticking through probably a lot of people whose names you've never heard before, except maybe from me. And if you'd like to write in or talk to me, communicate with the show or suggest a thing or, or comment, you can do that through email, circleoffilm at gmail.com or on Twitter at circleoffilm. If you want to follow all the rest of the content released uh, through circleoffilm the Circle of Film podcast, or through me, uh, related to movies, you can check out circleoffilm.com for a lot of that and more. And if you would like to support what I'm doing on this show and uh, under this name, I don't know. I don't know what I'm. If you want to support the show, do it uh, through Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/CircleOfFilm. Thank you so much for listening once again, and as always, have a week. She'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be to say adieu. In the name of love, one night in the name of love. So long, farewell, oh, what I'll be to say. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.